The Oklahoma Sooners are off to a 2-0 and start to start the 2023 season. So what do we love about what Oklahoma has done so far? What do we not love? We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John Nine Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh On Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from nine to noon on the K Ref Sports app. Download it available. It's available wherever you get your pod, your apps. Sorry, guys. I just woke up just a little bit ago after putting my little guy down to sleep, trying to sleep with him. So off to a slow start myself, just like the Oklahoma Sooners offense was on Saturday. Josh, a 2-0 start. Things are looking pretty good. Oklahoma had a 73-0 win week one and you know came together late in game two against SMU, rattling off 14 unanswered points in the final, what, eight minutes or so to get a 28-11 win. So Let's answer this question first. Let's talk about what do we love about what we've seen out of the Oklahoma Sooners thus far? Defensively, looks like uh, this team flies to the football better. Just generally speaking, I think that they're defensively improved. Now, let's see what happens as this schedule continues to ramp up on uh, on Oklahoma here. But uh, what they've done, a shutout in game one, coming back and – you know, bending but not breaking and coming up with a key turnover on downs and the key interception late to lock down this last victory. Really, the defense just keying the middle portion of all of it for Oklahoma versus SMU. That's, uh, I mean, that's got to be what you you love the most, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Oklahoma's only allowing five and a half points per game. And anytime that that's the case, you got to feel really good about what you're doing defensively. Again, it's a far cry from where we hope it's going to be in the future. I mean, there were some areas against SMU where, I mean, there were some coverage issues. I think uh, guys just kind of wide open uh, running more to that sideline area in the, the kind of the, that, that area of the cover two defense that a lot of times can get exploited a little bit. It was now, did that mean Oklahoma ended up giving up a bunch of points? No, it's like we talked about on yesterday's show. One of the things that I'm loving about this team is that, even after they give up a big play or allow a first down or get into, you know, their own territory, they kind of shut it down at that point. They are showing a resiliency that I feel like we haven't seen in years past. And again, just two games. It's early in the season, a bad Arkansas state team, a pretty good SMU team, but all things are looking positive, especially from a resiliency standpoint where you forget what just happened and you just go out for the next series of downs and you just try to make plays and then get off the field. Third down defense, it's much improved already this year, allowing a, a first down conversion on third down at 21%. I mean, that is an improvement right there. And it's going to be something that continues to improve as this team gets better and better and better because there are still areas to improve. But just you got to love the competitive nature that the defense is showing right now. And to me, it's, it's led by Danny Stutzman. The guy is off to a tremendous start to the 2023 season, was named Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week this week after a 17-tackle performance, two-and-a-half tackles for loss, a sack, a quarterback hit, a fumble recovery. I mean, the guy that you needed to take a step in his production and in his play, he's done that, and I think that's going to help the rest of the defense take that next step as well. Yeah, there's really no conversation about, hey, what do you love about Oklahoma so far that doesn't involve the words Danny Stutzman. Yeah, he. I mean, how could you not mention him uh, being the national defensive player of the week, racking up 17 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, a sack versus SMU. He's been everything that we wanted Danny Stutzman to be, and and then he elevated it. So no, it's it's really encouraging that we thought was there, right? I mean, after a season where you led the Big 12 in tackles, but then to 
to make more impactful tackles. The, the way that he and Oklahoma are getting downhill, John, to ball carriers, the way that, they, the way that they're pursuing sideline to sideline is, uh, is much improved, I think, in the run game. They're identifying things. They just look like, in Danny Stutzman individually, they're playing faster, which is what, uh, what it should look like. To your point about third down uh, percentage defense, third down conversion percentage defense, Oklahoma was 87th nationally a season ago in third down uh, conversion percentage. Right now they're number eight nationally. And I know that you almost take that Arkansas State game and throw it out or whatever, but uh, that is uh, a clear, substantial improvement, John, what they're doing defensively on third down, which is, I mean, that's the key to all of it, right? It, it 100% is. You get off the field, you get the ball back for your offense that allows them an opportunity to go score points. I mean, if you win third downs on both sides of the ball, you're going to win the football game. Now, if you avoid third down altogether, then you're probably winning the football game if you avoid it on on uh, on offense. But on defense, you've got to make stops. you got to get off the field when the opportunity is there. And so far in 2023, they're doing it. And a lot of it is because they're getting really good performances out of some really Im- impressive playmakers. Uh, Sooner Cowboys mentioning Justin Harrington. We're seeing the Justin Harrington breakout. Like he's having a really, really strong start to the season. I hope it continues. I hope we get to see more and more of Justin Harrington because everything is looking really, really promising out of him. He brings like a certain tenacity and an edge. You know, the other day he made a play and he slammed his hands down on the ground. And my wife was asking, man, what's he so angry about? I was like, he's just fired up. He's like, he made a play and he's just fired up and he's ready to fire everybody else up. Another one, you know, Peyton Bowen. Absolutely right here. Jets got it. He is a playmaker. Put him wherever you want on the field. He's going to go make a play. He's shown it in two games. And it's what Brent Venables talked about through the spring. Nothing's big, too big for him. He's gotten to OU. He's joined a, a premier college football program. And he's somebody who is going to play a significant role on this defense as a true freshman. Incredible uh, that he's able to make that leap that quickly. Another one Jet mentions, Kip Lewis, another guy that's just out there making plays constantly. So, And I think that's something that's very intriguing about this defense that I love is that you're seeing, okay, yes, you have the Danny Stutzman, the guy you expected to be a big-time difference maker for the team, be a difference maker, but then you're having guys like a Peyton Bowen who, okay, maybe some people expected him to come in and be a big-time difference maker as a true freshman. I don't like to put that kind of expectation on a true freshman because it's a big transition, but he's definitely living up to the hype. Kip Lewis, another guy that maybe you didn't expect to become a big time part of the defense. He's already cementing himself as an integral part of that linebacker rotation. Yeah. They've got uh, a lot of talent there. Any chance that Kip Lewis wrestles that job away from Jaron Canick? I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, again, the guy's just going out there and making plays. I mean, he had 11 tackles in the spring game. He had nine tackles against SMU on Saturday. I I don't know how you cannot put him on the field. And again, that's not to say that Jaron Kanick is playing bad. I don't think he's playing bad. I think Kip Lewis is playing really, really well also, which is a great sign. And I think that's another thing that we love about this team is what they've talked about all offseason, the competitive depth being better. It's better. You have a better group of players from the defensive line to the defensive backfield, linebacker sandwich in between. Everything just looks better. Yeah, it it does. The depth that you have there at that position, even if uh, it's you stick with Canick, who, by the way, I think did some nice things in, in coverage. I know he got, we talked about this yesterday, he got flagged for the one penalty that you don't always get flagged for and yet i mean he's still flying to the football and and doing some really positive things but it's nice that you feel like you have an option there between those two and oh by the way you've got uh, a, a number of other names that you could point to at, at linebacker in the here and now and then and then going forward for oklahoma so that's got to be something you love is just the, the depth at that position we thought that oklahoma had upgraded pretty uh substantially at linebacker and it looks like yeah, they they have. Tawi Walker. Love uh, love what we've seen from Tawi. Love what we saw versus SMU from Tawi Walker. I don't know uh, really what to make top to bottom of the running back situation right now, John. I, I love Nobody what we've does. seen. How could you? How, how could you have any idea? Javante Barnes carries uh, the most in game one. 
then turns around and really doesn't get a ton of action in game two. Tommy Walker is fabulous. You've got Marcus Major who scores one of the really scored twice, but obviously scores the game ceiling touchdown. So it's tough to get a wrap on what exactly is going on in the running back room. But I love that they've, again, got a number of different choices there that you can feel pretty good about. However you slice it, it's been productive so far. You know, whether it was the, the heavy rotation that they had in week one against Arkansas State or Tawi Walker leading the way in week two, it's been productive. And you can't discount what Tawi Walker is bringing to the table anymore because he just went out there and for about three quarters was about the best thing you had going offensively, uh, most consistent thing you had going offensively for sure in that game against SMU. We got more things to love. We'll talk about some of the things that we're not so fond of uh, so far through 2023's first two games. First, I want to talk to y'all about our friends over at game time. If you're looking to find tickets for this weekend's action, go to your app store, download the game time app and use our promo code locked on college. And you can get $20 off this weekend's action. You can get concert seats, football tickets, baseball, whatever sport you're looking for. They've got it over there at game time. Right now, there's still a lot of great tickets available for Oklahoma at Tulsa. And I know I've seen it on social media. Some people are talking about the price. Well, now's a great chance. Use our promo code, get that $20 off, and you can get a ticket to go watch OU pummel the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. After what Washington did a week ago or this past Saturday, it would not surprise me to see Oklahoma go put a a thumping on them. But a fantastic way to buy your tickets. You get a great view of what your seat's going to be looking at when you're in the stadium. So go check it out again, game time app available in your app store. Use our promo code locked on college for $20 off. Josh, I want to mention a guy that I love that I know you love because this is fulfilling your bold take from the preseason. And that's Andrew Anthony. As much as I'm a Jalil Farouk guy, and I really think he's going to have a great season, Andrew Anthony has been the most consistent wide receiver they've had through two games and is showing everything that you want your number one wide receiver to show. He's been able to win deep. He's been able to win in the intermediate game as well. He's making plays after the catch. He's showing good route running, really good hands. He's been a really, really great addition. And Emmett Jones fulfilling all the promise that you hoped he would. This was the first, I think the first wide receiver commit Emmett Jones had. Now this was through the transfer portal, but I think the first one that Emmett Jones received when he came to Oklahoma and it's really showing itself to be a great addition and just great evaluation by Emmett Jones to say, Hey, this is a guy that can come in, help us right away. And Andrew Anthony's doing just that. It is a pretty impressive evaluation from Oklahoma. I mean, if that continues the way that it's tracking right now to where he, uh, even if he's not the number one guy, John, it looks like we've got a pretty clear indication through two games that absolutely he will remain a starter. He's going to be one of the top pass catchers on this team. And yeah, he's got a chance to be the number one guy right on this group. So that alone for him to really not have done much at uh, Michigan, and now he comes over to Oklahoma, and they sort of identify, okay, well, here's somebody that's got some speed to burn that uh, we think with Dylan Gabriel in this offense can uh, can really be a good fit for them to take that chance and so far be proven right. John is uh, it's no small thing. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big transfer portal win potentially for Oklahoma among what looks like it could be a lot of those for Oklahoma, but just in one particular offensive name, we haven't really gotten, you know, the chance to see much of Brennan Thompson injuries have derailed that a little bit so far, but for at least one of the wide receivers they brought in. Yeah. It's, it's so far looking great. Angel Anthony has seven receptions on nine targets through the first two games and 76 receiving yards. Sorry. That was just last week. I'm looking at just the, Week two box score. My apologies. Let me find this real quick because I think it's going to be pretty staggering um, how much production he's had so far uh, this season. It's it's far more than the rest of the the group. So he's been targeted twelve times, has ten receptions. Aside from Jaquay's Petaway's nine that he had in week one, nobody has more receptions than than Drake Stoops six. Uh, through the two games, that's the closest person you have uh, to Angelo Anthony's 10 receptions for 142 yards. Uh, the only player over 100 yards 
so far through two games, and that's Andrew Anthony. I think you're going to see other guys get involved. Mark's, you know, asking the question. Farouk got it, got involved himself. I mean, he's going to be more involved. He's just too good of a player. Jimmy's mentioning it too. We need to involve Farouk more. I think you're going to see him more and more involved. We saw it towards the end of the game against SMU when they started kind of hitting on that slant pattern quite a bit more. That's where Jalil Farouk thrives is in that intermediate part of the field where he can catch the ball and make something happen after the play. But so far through two games, Andrew Anthony has been more than what you could have expected. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really positive. I mean, for him to basically be doubling up the next guy in Drake Stoops in terms of receiving yards is, yeah, is, uh, is really nice for Andrew Anthony need to get some of these other guys going. Jaleel Farouk uh, mentioned him. That was, that was a nice sign late to, to see the touchdown pass to him and for him to go make that uh, catch and run and, get into the end zone was was really uh, positive for Jalil Farouk. I expect I expect Oklahoma to look his direction in this next game versus Tulsa. This is a Tulsa team that, you know, frankly got it put on them by Washington. So we can get into a little bit of the comparative scoring here is if you think Washington's a legitimate factor out West in the Pac-12, okay, well, now we get to, again, sort of stack up what Oklahoma does versus Tulsa versus what Washington did versus Tulsa. And the indication is that Oklahoma can go put some points up on the scoreboard versus Tulsa. So this is, uh, I, I mean, between SMU and Tulsa, I don't think there's much debate that SMU is uh, the much better football team between uh, between those two. So you ought to be able to go try some things out. You ought to be able to, if you want to, go force feed the football a little bit to Jalil Farouk, Nick Anderson, and Jaden Gibson. We kind of got that question earlier today, John, on the radio side. What's happened to those two guys? You know, where, where did they mysteriously go this week? I just felt like they kept the rotation on offense a lot smaller than what it was last week. And I don't think that's necessarily an indication that those won't be guys that are part of the fold, but I think maybe they're just trying to figure out, okay, if you want to look at it in basketball terms, right? Who, who was their top eight, you know, and about on the, on the bench or when you're playing basketball or coaching basketball and you decide you want to shorten your bench a little bit, who are the guys you're going to count on in crunch time or, or in a game that's tight. Okay. You might have three guys off your bench that are going to be key players and maybe that's kind of what they were trying to do is, okay, we're going to shorten our bench a little bit. We're going to decide, okay, who are the key critical players that we're going to feel like we can rely upon for four quarters in a tight ball game. Right now, that's kind of where it's at. But I don't necessarily think that that means, okay, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson have fallen out of favor. I don't think that's what that means at all. I just think it means things were a little bit closer in a contest this past weekend. And maybe they just felt more comfortable with a shorter wide receiver rotation of Freeman, Anthony, uh, LV Bunkley, Shelton, Jaleel Farouk. But I, I think we will see more Nick Anderson. We will see more Jaden Gibson this weekend. And then as the season goes along and they continue to develop and work on their games. Well, toss that into my, what I dislike category about Oklahoma so far, because I do think they, they need to involve those, those big bodied wide receivers you know, if not to just go beat SMU in the here and now in Tulsa next week, but Cincinnati right around the corner. And that looks to be an improved football team relative to maybe what we expected coming into this year, but sticking with the, the likes before we maybe dive into those nasty waters of the dislikes so far, things we want to see improved a little bit with this football team. How can you not say Dylan Gabriel through a couple of games, right? I mean, I, I thought uh, this past game, John, that some of the inefficiencies offensively weren't totally his fault, that kind of he got some opportunities taken away from him in terms of the way that the game was play called and obviously going with the Jackson Arnold package and then just leaning on either the designed quarterback run or the read option quarterback run or just turning and handing off to running backs instead of just letting him go have the football in his hand and, and find some of these targets that we're talking about. But generally speaking, when he's been given that opportunity, he's been, what have we clamored for? Accuracy, accuracy, accuracy throughout the offseason. And it does look like he's improved in that department. Yeah, he's completing 77.6% of his passes through two games right now. And again, he's been really, really good over the middle of the field. 
has he been perfect? No, but no quarterback is perfect. No quarterback is perfect. But because of social media and because we overanalyze every single pass attempt for every quarterback in the NFL, college, high school, we want every pass to be right on the money, in stride, you know, not underthrown. Like every pass has got to be right in the box. That's just not the reality of life. You've also got to rely on your guys to go make plays at times. I think some of what we saw on Saturday was a very, very conservative game plan that was just going to do just enough to win the football game. Because when they needed to turn it up, when it got to a three-point game, whose hands did they put the ball in? When they needed a score to answer SMU's score, they put the ball right back in their quarterback's hands and said, go win us the football game. And he did. He was fantastic in the fourth quarter. What more could you ask for from Dylan Gabriel so far in this season? I mean, sure. Would you love to see the 300 yards every single game doing the things that Caleb Williams is doing out there at USC? 100%. You'd love to see that. But Oklahoma's 2-0. I'm happy with that. Now, the tough, the challenges are going to get more difficult. You're going to need more out of your quarterback in the next few weeks, especially when you go down to Dallas and you face Texas. But so far, so good for me. I mean, you're completing 77% of your passes. I can't complain. And I think they're going to open the offense up even more as we move along in this season. Anything else that uh, really stands out in the way of, hey, this part has particularly impressed me? I think they have a better understanding of game management as a, as a staff. It feels like they're doing a much better job at mixing up the pace a little bit. And, and I like that. You know, yes, it's good to go fast. Yes, it's good to play with that tempo. It keeps defenses a little bit off balance. But also what keeps them off balance is when you decide to slow it down a little bit too. When you get everybody out on the field, you get to the line of scrimmage, you, and then you decide, you know, we're going to take seconds off the play clock on this one. And we're going to use a lot more, slow the game down, and not just be in a hurry to, to have these you know quick drives, quick score drives every single time. I like the change of pace. I like that they seem to have a better understanding of, of that, how to balance, like how to balance. Okay. The, the defense was just on the field for a long drive. Let's give them a breather by slowing the game down a little bit, running the football a little bit more and taking up more time off the clock so that we don't go three and out and then just give the ball right back. I feel like it, it seems like that. Now I'd have to go back and do a drive by drive analysis and comparison, but just from a 10,000 foot view, it really looks like this this coaching staff has a better understanding of how to manage the football game. Yeah, and how could you come away from last season and not hope and wish that Oklahoma would just flat out get down to a little bit of introspection and be better in that regard? You mm -hmm. know, and particularly the combination of Jeff Levy, Dylan Gabriel, whoever you wanted to assign the blame to there, and I think probably it falls. You would imagine with the offensive coordinator, with your head coach, for the way that at times it's like you wanted to go warp speed and the situation of the football game, it's it's uh, it's sort of like a basketball game where you can't guard anybody in man, and so all of a sudden you switch to zone, and then they start just hitting a bunch of three-pointers on it. It's like every defensive decision that Oklahoma made a season ago would go wrong, and obviously switching this to, to football here. Every time that Jeff Levy wanted to slow things down, it's like, well, no, speed it up. Every time he wanted to speed it up, it's like, ah, probably should just take the air out of it a little bit it's like yeah. just did not have a good feel for what needed to happen and it does feel like through so far through a couple of games oklahoma has been improved in that regard and maybe that's brent venables just having more a better comfort level with being a head coach you know maybe last year it was deferring too much to his offensive coordinator to just run the offense you know kind of in a similar vein as remember the titans when you know, Herman Boone's, you know, telling Coach Yost, you can coordinate the defense, but as a part of my greater team philosophy, you know, there was the, but before they kind of came together, there was kind of a division there a little bit. And I'm not saying that there was any division between Venables and Levy, but until the head coach really feels in command and is dictating the pace and dictating the, the style of play, it, it may not flow right. And, it, and I think that's what was a little bit disjointed about the team last year is when they talked about complimentary football, they weren't really playing complimentary football. And I think some of it might have to do with just the, the head coach being a first year head coach kind of figuring out, okay, I've got to be more directive 
a, a little bit more of a dictator as far as how our, our team philosophy is going to go. And if that means saying, hey, we're going to slow it, we're going to run the football, we're going to pound away so that we can run the ball, play defense, by all means, I want Brent Venables, the head coach, to go and be the head coach. If that means telling Jeff Levy to slow it down, telling Jeff Levy, hey, let's run the ball this series or let's open it up, be the head coach, be the man. Your job is to be the man. And I think maybe this is just a little bit more comfort level. So I, I'm that's why I'm impressed with what seems like a change of pace in the way that they're mixing up their tempo a little bit. And to Clark's point here, he, he writes us, I mean, Oklahoma had the 13th ranked offense in the nation last year. So Levy was doing something right. Agreed. And uh, I, I think that uh, we've made that point in the past that the idea that Oklahoma was some sort of like broken offensive machine a season ago. No, they were really good offensively a season ago. It was just, there were games that they lost in, in this, just all of it. It's the complimentary football component to it. Oklahoma just didn't seem in, in it, you know, timeouts, uh, the way that the tempo ran offense. I mean, you could, a number of different things, not just the tempo of the offense. It's just like, it didn't feel like Oklahoma had a good pulse on how to get to the winner's circle a season ago. And uh, it feels like that's a little bit more organized. And again, I think that that does, it does show itself a little bit in the tempo at times. I would make this comment too. And I said this after game one, Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel, I think are just more comfortable running tempo than they were a season ago. You know, even, uh, even a number of times where you see Drake Stoops or Freeman or whoever run the football to the center of the field and hand it off to the official there, it's just more organized what they're doing. Yeah. Angela Anthony, same thing. I think every single reception, the dude probably ran eight miles because after every reception, he was running the ball to the middle of the field to get it spiked and then running back out wide to get in his spot. So yeah, everybody's just more in sync. And I think maybe that's something to love is on offense and on defense, everybody has a better understanding what their responsibilities are and what they're supposed to do in their schemes so that everybody can be more successful. What do we want to see improved? We can, uh, we can dive into that and all of your comments as well. But uh, as we're watching, it uh, is not, it's not a nice night, unfortunately for Jets fans, but it, uh, as we await to figure out what that injury prognosis is for one Aaron Rodgers. It is, however, a nice night and a nice week and a nice month and a nice season, baby, because football is back. The National Football League, yes. Incredible offers from FanDuel. That is America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. $5, get 200 in bonus bets. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So, hey, now's the best time to join FanDuel, the app. It's super easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props to so, so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Pass rush is, is that the like not getting home at times, whether it was the way they dialed it up Stutzman. I know that that's not, he's not a defensive tackle. Okay. He's not a defensive end. They lined him up outside every once in a while in a, a pass rushing situation, or he just got home on a linebacker blitz, but he's not supposed to time and time again, be the one delivering the pass rush, right? It's okay here and there, but it should, it should come from, your defensive tackles. It should come from your defensive ends. If there's something that it sounds like the fan base wants more of John, and I would echo that it's okay. Time for the defensive tackles and the defensive ends that we're excited about. It's time to deliver. Yeah. It's not been great so far. I mean, the, the Sooners pass rush win rate is, you know, amongst their defensive ends or, de or defensive players has not been promising the best Pass rush win rate right now belongs to your safety, Key Lawrence. I mean, he's rushed the passer once and or twice and got a pressure. Uh, you look at, you know, Adipoja Adabari, he's rushed the passer 12 times. He's created two pressures, but he's got a 25% pass rush win rate. So, like, if those are your, your leaders right now in pass rush win percentage, you've got a little bit of an issue. And maybe does that mean you got to get Adipoju Adabari more snaps? Perhaps. 
Uh, R. Mason Thomas got his first bit of action last week. Uh, rushed the passer looks like nine times, and you know had a fourteen point three percent win rate. So, and he's number four on the sorry number five on the team behind Trace Ford, who's sitting at number four on the team. And to your point about Danny Stutzman, he's rushed the passer twelve times at a fifty four pass uh, snaps and has got a pass rush win rate of 18.2%. So, yes. Oh. Continue, and then I've got a question for you about okay. stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, so you know, it's intriguing, but like you guys that are starting, Rondo Bothro at Ethan Downs, they're not really winning on the pass rush very much. Your defensive tackles don't seem to be winning on the pass rush very much. But R. Mason Thomas, a guy that I'm very high on, is Adepojabari, the five-star 2023 signee. He is. Now it's just a matter of, okay, let's let's get some of these veterans getting to the quarterback a little bit more and as a team rushing the passer better. Let me ask you this. Can you pull up how many times Stutzman was used as a pass rusher a season ago? How many times uh, they did that with him? If you will hold for one second. I, 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 can, I can filibuster with the best of them for you, John. But I'm curious because obviously, you know, through a couple of games, that's been very effective for Oklahoma, but they're also just, this is just me going a little bit off memory. I feel like they're doing that more than they did a season ago. And uh, I mean, I would, I would venture that to say to me, I, what, what do I take from that? If these numbers bear that out and prove that to be true, it means they're more comfortable elsewhere. It means they've got more options that they feel like they can trust or just the collective understanding of what Brent Venables wants to do to, allow Stutzman uh, to go do that things that uh, I'm not crazy about so far. And you've got it. Yeah. So he rushed the passer 134 times last year. So a lot, uh, a lot, according to pro football focus, again, all these numbers come courtesy of pro football focus, an average of 10 times per game and had a pass rush win rate, according to pro football focus of just 4.6%. So the pass rush win rate is better. Even if he's not necessarily rushing the passer as frequently this season. Now it's early in the season. We're just through two games against Arkansas state and against uh, SMU two teams that maybe you're not planning to rush Danny Sutzman as much, but he's not, he's only rushed 12 times. So six times per game so far this season, but his win rate is better. So if you're going to ask him to rush the passer less, maybe it's going to give him a better opportunity to win in, in that vein. Well, that goes to show you he wasn't winning enough a season ago because he's rushing less, but uh, he's more impactful now. And so it's like it's uh, the synapses are firing over here, John. It's oh wow, Danny Stutzman, they're rushing him. He's getting home. Yeah. So that's uh, well, that, I think that was huge. one of the biggest issues last year that we're kind of seeing a little bit so far to start the season is when they blitz. Oftentimes the blitzer would get kind of caught up in the muck and wouldn't be able to get to the quarterback or get through to the quarterback. I feel like it's getting a little bit better this year, but still can be a problem at times. And I don't know if it's just not having good, uh, I don't want to say gap integrity, but just not being true to where they're supposed to rush or, or if just the offensive lines are just doing a good job at picking up the blitz. But so far just, there's still some of that. Now Stutzman is rushing the passer much better. And that's clear. Even without looking at the stats, he's just been more effective this year than he was last year. Things, other things that I'm not crazy about so far for OU and this will be a little bit of a mixed bag because I feel like Blake Smith is clearly more impactful and better than probably all of us were hoping. Right. I mean, you know, he's been, he can catch a pass and go make a play or two. He's been what was advertised in the run blocking department and yet Stogner, right. That I feel like you're waiting on something there. So that part is uh, to me a little discouraging through a couple of games, John, the uh, the depth, the production there, just in general at tight end, could improve. My only hope is that we're just not planning to throw to Austin Stogner so far this season, or like we're just holding it back so that we can unleash him when it gets to Big Twelve play or the competition gets more serious. Because yeah, it it's not showing up right now. And you know the the one time I think they threw to him. It didn't look great. And then there was a time where he was supposed to block out on the perimeter on a, on an end around. And that didn't look great either. Or maybe it was just a wide receiver screen or something, 
but yeah, he's got it. I don't know. There's something not quite right there. And I don't know if it's just, they're just holding it back and, and getting ready to unleash it here in the next few weeks, or if it's just not there anymore. I don't know, but yeah, tight end production could get much, much better. One thing I'm not super fond of and jet mentions it here, get rid of uh, the bell dozer. Jackson Arnold is not six, six and two fifty. I don't disagree. Like I don't, I don't mind it here and there. And I mentioned it on our show for Monday that it's good. Like once, you know, you don't want to go to the well four times or you know two, three times on a series. And I get, you want to run the quarterback and that's part of Jeff Levy's offense, which that's a conversation for another day, but I just, I don't like forcing it. If that makes sense. Every single time there was one time where it popped a good run. Other times it was like barely getting the first down. And is that the kind of thing you want to do with your quarterback where you're, you're putting him in those positions to get pounded on every single time? Cause he's not Cam Newton. You know, he's not this big dude. I mean, he's a good sized kid. That's got the ability to run the football, but do we, and, and Dion's making the point about Matt Corral, Matt Corral got broken at Ole Miss. Like he had a big time injury that set him back. And so like, yeah, we're going to run the football, but how much do we want to put our quarterback in harm's way to do that? I don't mind the scrambles. I don't mind some of the RP or the read option stuff, but the designed quarterback run game, a little bit less of that for me. I think just the, yeah. Extending that to Dylan Gabriel too. Yeah. I don't need to see Dylan Gabriel running a quarterback read option a bunch. If he wants to tuck it and scramble here and there, okay, great, because you got to have some form or fashion of mobility, but you're not going to be, I don't think, altogether effective. You're, you're giving snaps away if you're trying to run read option with Dylan Gabriel. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're bringing Jackson Arnold in there, just let him run the offense. If you're going to go that route and give him snaps, you don't have to neuter it by bringing him in there only to run that type of package. Let, unleash him. Let him go make a decision or two. Let him go attack a defense vertically. Let him, you know, drop back and act like he's going to throw and then tuck it and run it. Because obviously he's, you know, he's got the athleticism to be really dangerous running the football. But when you tip your hand again and again and again and again and again, and yes, you're not Blake Bell, right? Then, okay, it's it's pretty obvious. And I know they're trying to set up the boom, he's going to jump pass or whatever. But even that, to me, is predictable because defensively, I'm like, all right, well, eventually they're going to try and go one-on-one with one of these guys on the outside. So if you're not running a traditional offense with them out there, to me, there's limitations on how effective it's going to be. Yeah, and I just want to keep running the offense. I think some of what happened on Saturday was just the herky-jerky nature of okay, we got to a short yarded situation. Now let's pull Dylan Gabriel, bring Jackson Arnold back in and then, you know, get the first down and then bring Dylan Gabriel back in. I think it just slows down the pace, slows down the momentum a little bit, but um, I get that they're going to set something up for this. I just don't hope, I just hope that they don't get the kid injured along the way. Uh, just trying to pick up, you know, a, a yard here and there because his value is much greater uh, than that. Jim Bird asks the question, who upgrades more the next few games, the offense or the defense? I mean, against Tulsa, I think we're going to see the offense be much more explosive, and I think we're going to see them put quite a few more points on the board than they did against SMU. But again, I, I would not uh, discount the defense having another really great game either. Yeah, in the immediate here, just based on the way SMU played out for Oklahoma, the obvious answer versus Tulsa would be, well, Offense, right? There's there's more to gain there, but I'm hopeful in the long haul that it will be the defense because that was the issue a season ago. So as we start looking, you know, further down the road beyond a Tulsa, as you look at uh, a Cincinnati and beyond an Iowa State, who I got news for you, offensively they got a lot of lot of problems right now. That Iowa State offense, so you ought to be able to look really good defensively in that game. As you start thinking about Quinn Ewers. Sanders worthy. Hopefully it's that defense that continues to either stay where it's at or continue to elevate. 
Yeah, and I think it's going to be. We'll we'll see a, a really strong defensive performance this week against Emory Jones in Cincinnati in two weeks. We'll get a new challenge, but I, I feel like the defense is showing that they're athletic and fast enough to deal with mobile quarterbacks this year, unlike last year where they just seem to struggle against every quarterback that ever tried to run. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to the defense continuing to be much improved. Now, I don't know, man. They're looking like a defense that could – hold teams to 20 or, or fewer points per game this season if things continue to improve, if the pass rush improves. I mean, so much to talk about max protections and things like that. I get it, but you got to win. You got to win your one-on-ones at times, and and there's been few opportunities to do that, and there's been few one-on-one wins. But the pass rush has to get better. It has to get, go, get home, just like Sooner Cowboys is saying here. Let's talk a couple things. We're going to flip it here. Instead of talking about uh, Texas – screw those guys. We're going to talk uh, Danny Okoye because screw those guys. Um, you know, Danny Okoye narrowed down his top three. Um, Oklahoma looks to be the heavy favorite on this recruitment. All our recruiting segments moments are brought to you by LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash locked on college, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Um, he's going to commit on September 20 uh, at the, I think it's called the core where he works out in Tulsa, uh, so a big time potential uh, recruitment to follow over the next nine days. It's Oklahoma, it's Texas and Tennessee. And again, everything looks like it's pointing towards the Oklahoma Sooners in this recruiting battle. You know, I actually think now going forward, every single show, we should just put something up on the board that's Texas related and then <laughs> <laughs> should be our new shtick. Ah, screw them. We're not actually, not actually talking about that. Sold. It's done. That's uh, that's brilliant. I, I really enjoyed that. That was very fun. Uh, speaking though of Texas, I mean, what is he tweeting about? He's he's got some new things to consider, and he's gonna readjust his thoughts. And thirty four, twenty four. It's should we be worried about this? No, maybe, possibly. I don't know. Who knows, man? With a, a high school kid and what he's feeling in the moment. You know, I'm sure after the, you know, after Saturday night and into Sunday, Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis were on the phone with them and, you know, reestablishing all the things and all the reasons why Oklahoma is, is going to be the better choice for him in the long run. Yeah, it, uh, it would be a nice little recruiting win for Oklahoma to again, get another one here over Texas. You've had a nice uh, little recruiting class in that regard. And uh, obviously we've talked a lot about just the defensive line that Oklahoma has been able to build in this class. Want to add a Koye to it, right? One final domino you hope uh, to, to go along with what you've already got in this class. Nigel Smith, we didn't, you know, we had our, we had uh, our reaction uh, the other night, but uh, now that it's simmered a little bit and settled in, what, uh, what do we think? Great ad. Just an absolutely great addition. A, a dude that kind of flew under the radar because of the high-profile nature of the David Stone and Williams Dwinary recruitments. And also because it just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of drama in his recruiting battle. Like, yeah, Ohio State was mentioned at times, Texas, Texas AM were mentioned at times, but none of those schools ever felt like legitimate threats to Oklahoma for Nigel Smith. And so it, it's just kind of almost like Nigel Smith Day came and went and it was just like, yep, there it was. Okay. He committed moving on. You know, it's like the thing that everybody expected to happen happened and we could just move on. Also, you kind of fly under the radar a little bit because football is actually happening. We have, we've got two weeks of games to talk about. And so, you know, his, his recruitment might've taken a little bit of a backseat to that, but he takes a backseat to no one to steal a Brent Venables line. He's a legit top 100 defensive line prospect. Somebody who's going to have a, a shot, to play at the NFL level because of his athleticism, his physicality, and his size. It's a great addition. It would be a great addition by itself. But with everything that they've got coming in in the 2024 class, it just amplifies how good of an, an addition it is for Nigel Smith. Like Nigel Smith could have been your top-rated you know, defensive line prospect. And in Brent Vent or in uh, Alex Grinch years, he might have been your top-rated prospect. But no he's kind of down the pecking order a little bit because you're getting really, really, really good players, or at least again, he's a really good player. Let me rephrase that. 
really, really highly rated players on the recruiting rankings. But Nigel Smith, that's a dude that you could build your defense around. We still feel like there's two names to uh, still arrive in this class along the offensive line. For Oklahoma, we feel good about it. Bricks, Akinkumi. I mean, Bricks is kind of a bit of a wild card still. It sounds like maybe he was supposed to come to Oklahoma for this past weekend and then didn't. Um, possibly because the the planned visit got out a little bit. Uh, so we'll see. I'm just not sure on that one. That that one still seems to be a toss-up between Kansas State and Nebraska and Oklahoma. Uh, Akinkumi, yeah. like That one I feel really, really comfortable with and confident about. I think Eddie Pierre-Louis is still potentially on the table too. Um, you know, he's got his decision day coming, but you know, I, I think it was Daniel Akinkumi or maybe Josh Isosa, you know, posting out on, on social media. I mean, it is Isosa post on social media. Um, what Eddie Pierre Louis had to say about Oklahoma. So I, I think that there's still a possibility that that one ends up in Oklahoma's favor as well. So it's, it's not done. And we saw last cycle too, where they added guys kind of late in the process, uh, you know, Taylor Wayne a Marcus strong, my man, Ashton Sanders, you know, dudes that have really good athletic upside flew under the radar a little bit, maybe because of where they played or the level of competition, but guys that Brent Venables and the coaching staff really, really liked along the defensive line to add to this roster. So, I mean, we know that we know of, you know, two, three, four guys that they're still heavily in pursuit of, but there's a, still three or four months until the early signing period for them to, bring a few more players to the table, get them on the radar and then see where they go. Man. Uh, if you could get two of those three names up front along the offensive line would be a, a nice way to round out this class. And obviously bricks is a, a big time target in, in that regard to, uh, to not, not lose him to a Kansas state or Nebraska would be, uh, would be pretty important. The uh, results from this past weekend, I, I, you know, look, we skipped over the Texas Alabama thing. I kind of like the, uh, <laughs> I kind of like Jets thought. Uh, forget about Texas. What about Texas A&M? Oh, Texas A&M, man! Just when you think that they're about to turn some things around, they go and lay a defensive egg against the Miami Hurricanes of all teams. And you just gotta wonder, like, at what point does the the Jimbo Fisher bubble bust? You know, I mean, he's his contract has got him there. And it's going to be really tough for Texas A&M to move on. But, I mean, the recruiting bubble is going to have to bust at some point. That team is just not putting it together. Regardless of several really good recruiting classes, it's just not coming together. And maybe it's just something that Texas A&M is destined for, to be a mediocre team for all of eternity. But I wonder at what point, though, will enough be enough? And the DJ Hickses and... Dominic McKinley's and Gabriel Brownlow Dindy's start having second thoughts, reconsidering that Texas A&M commitment. Is there another coach Sch Schnellenberger maybe, right. Would come to mind with the, what he did at Miami. Uh, well, Orgeron now I'm all of a sudden coming up with all sorts of coaches, but is there like Jimbo was regarded though as a great coach at one point in time at Florida state. I mean, he had things humming he, he won a national championship, looked like they were right in the mix for another. And, you know, when he went to A&M, it was so exciting for Aggie fans. And then he's recruited really, really well. And yet now, even though he's won a national championship, I kind of look at the guy, John, I'm like, yeah, he's sort of a loser. You know, it's like he's not, he's not the guy that's going to win big. So I'm just thinking, I mean, who in terms of head coaches can you think of that has had that sort of, total reversal in the way that they're regarded nationally in terms of Jimbo Fisher is not one of the nation's top coaches now, but he was in a stitch in time. And yes, I know, give it up to Jameis Winston, but I mean, he did, he had Florida state back to prominence. They won a national championship. And now again, he's got all this talent and he can't do anything with it. Man, that's a great question. Les miles kind of feels like an answer there. You know, where had a had a really good LSU team, and I, I want to say they won a national title there, if oh, I yeah. remember right. Oh seven, um, yeah, and then it just kind of fell off. You know, um, I mean, Steve Spurrier was great at Florida, but not so great at South Carolina. He was just kind of okay. 
you know, Mac Brown had Texas really humming and then they got impatient down in Austin. And I mean, he's been, he's been solid at UNC, but it's never kind of reached the same heights. Um, but again, he didn't choose to leave Texas and maybe even Spurrier might not, I think Spurrier retired maybe from Florida. I can't remember the timeline on that exactly, but it's just hard to find a national championship winning coach who left a program for money and found similar success. It's just, it's not been there for Jimbo. I mean, he hasn't had a 10 win season at Texas A&M and in this day and age when you can schedule three cupcake non-conference games, I mean, it's, I, I, it's hard to find teams that can't win 10 games. Uh, his best seasons have been, you know, nine and four. He had a nine and one season during the COVID year. So we'll give him credit for that. Had a really good year that year. Uh, but otherwise, and that might've been a 10 win season if they would have had their non-conference schedule to him. So I'll give him credit for that. But otherwise he was nine and four, eight and five, eight and four, five and seven in 2022. And now he's one and one in 2023. I just don't, I don't get what Jimbo Fisher is doing there and what, he's going to be able to accomplish. I love seeing the Kevin Sumlin, Jimbo Fisher side-by-side comparison because they ran off Kevin Sumlin because he wasn't winning enough and brought in Jimbo Fisher. Now what are you going to do? You're stuck. The SEC West is going to be fascinating to watch play out. Yes, a a wonderful Beck reference by 405 boy. Jimbo said, I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? The SEC West is going to be interesting to follow because LSU, who got embarrassed, by the way, in the second half versus Florida State, now we get a little bit further down the road with what Texas did to Alabama and with A&M not living up to expectations. Uh, We'll see about, like, an Arkansas. LSU is still the best team maybe in the SEC West, John. It's crazy. It's crazy after getting blown out by Florida State. Let's spend a few minutes on Texas-Alabama since you brought up Alabama again. Shocked that they were able to go into Tuscaloosa and beat Bama by 10. All credit to Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian for the win. The defense played well enough, made Jalen Milrow look like a first-year starting quarterback. And I don't know how you can't buy Texas now at this point because they looked really, really good. Yeah, they uh, have tossed their name into the hat as the legitimate Big 12 favorite. It is what it is. They've got the best win. They went and beat a program that prior to Georgia rattling off these last two has been the standard in college football. So they've earned that, right? They've got that street cred based on Ewers and Sanders and Worthy and everybody and Adonai Mitchell. They went out and proved it. Now, that being said, and this is not just because it's Texas, I don't think this is Alabama as we've known Alabama. Uh, Milrow clearly is a work in progress. And I don't know that he's a work in progress that's ever totally going to get there. We'll see on that. I'm not ready to totally, you know, write that chapter and close that book because it's so early for him. And I do expect Nick Saban to get this team playing better or improving this team as it goes along. But man, from where where we're sitting right now, what we saw the other night, it's not unfathomable, unfathomable that Bama's going to lose another couple of games based on the uh, the Alabama team that we sat and watched. So yeah, it's uh, it's an impressive win. Texas is the favorite in the Big 12. I look at it and say for OU, and I hate being in this mindset because, you know, to me it's Texas lose every single time. That's just fine by Oklahoma fans. And yet Oklahoma does now have this opportunity to uh, – and I like Herb Street, and so when I say this, it's not with any sort of animosity – But Oklahoma's got an opportunity now to shut Herbie up, an opportunity to shut a lot of these folks up nationally that are pushing this narrative that, oh, Texas is ready for the SEC and OU's a year or two away. Well, now you go beat that team down uh, in uh, the Cotton Bowl in October, John, the same team that went and snapped a 21-game home winning streak for, again, the standard bearer in college football in Alabama. And now we can talk, right, that Venables – has got OU going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think so too. And yeah, you. I mean, I'm never going to root for Texas to win because it helps Oklahoma strength the schedule, but it just gives the game a whole lot more buzz and a whole lot more hype heading into the Red River Showdown, especially, and it's going to take some work to do this, especially if Oklahoma can get undefeated going down to Dallas. I mean, that potentially has top 10 matchup written all over it when uh, the Sooners and Longhorns meet up. 
Oklahoma's just going to have to hold up their end of the bargain. Texas will have to as well. And then that's a coin flip game. No matter how you slice it, no matter what happened in, in the year before, it's a coin flip game. Anybody can win it. It doesn't matter what the talent is on the rosters. That game is unique in that fashion. Last year doesn't matter. It's well, gone. OU comes in with a chip on its shoulder. Yeah. So for for that individual game, and we'll see. I, this I could look so dumb in a in a month's time if Texas smacks OU again, but it does sort of lend itself to where OU comes into that game big time chip on the shoulder. They got embarrassed a year ago. Oh, by the way, they didn't have their starting quarterback in the game. And Texas, we know, shows up for big games typically, John, when they're not expected to go perform well or play well. Now they're the standard bearer, right? Now they're the force to be reckoned with in the Big 12. And oh, by the way, are they a little fat and happy because they spanked this Oklahoma team a year ago? Oklahoma's the team that comes into that game embarrassed and frustrated over what happened a year ago. Texas comes in feeling great about itself with everybody telling them all sorts of nice things. Yeah. And it's just like Sooner Cowboys mentions here on, on the YouTube chat. See how many returning players take that personal. I know they've got that game circled. Even if they're saying, Nope, just one game at a time, one game at a time mentally, you can't, but thinking about going down to Dallas and redeeming yourself a little bit for a performance that was just bad. From start to finish, and for lack of a better term, it was embarrassing. And this team is different than last year's team. Last year's team is last year's team. This year's team is this year's team. Even though there's a lot of the same faces, it has a different feel to it for this Oklahoma Sooners roster. The edge is different. The attitude is different. The pace of play is different. The way they play is different. So I'm I'm sticking by my prediction that Oklahoma beats Texas. I've been saying it now for months. I do believe Oklahoma beats Texas in this game. I'll be happy to be wrong. It's cool. But I really believe that uh, Oklahoma is going to not, sorry, I won't be happy to be wrong. I'll be sad to be wrong, but I'll be okay. If I'm wrong, I still think Oklahoma beats Texas. I just think they're going to be, they're going to have that, that mojo working for them that uh, we still got a lot to prove. And I think that's the way that they're approaching this season is they've got a lot to prove to themselves and to the national commentary, to the Texas Longhorns, and it's going to happen in October. Any Anything else that happened in the Big 12 or college football that kind of like took you by surprise or at least was notable for you? Well, basically every pick I think that you and I made to end last week was dead wrong. I said Alabama was going to beat Texas by three touchdowns, so it was basically the exact opposite of that. So I, mean, I was three and two. I was three and two against the spread, or so not, not terrible. <laughs> well, I'm going to raise my hand and assume that I was not. Uh, I definitely swung and uh, and missed. And Quinn Ewers in Texas made me look uh, pretty silly. And hey, hats off to them for that. Uh, heck of a win. But beyond that, I didn't see Baylor turning around and playing Utah close. I didn't see Texas Tech. I that those six that six and a half number in Oregon covers because they get the pick six late. But that was one of those toss it up, let SVP go to work. It was such a bad beat that the game did not play out that way between Oregon and Texas Tech. So they cover, but they didn't really cover in that game. So from a week where the Big 12 looked horrible, John, to you know, one week later, and all of a sudden uh, Baylor and Texas Tech remind us that okay, they're actually not necessarily the teams that lost to Texas State and versus Wyoming. And, oh, by the way, I mean, obviously, Texas goes and beats Alabama. And, oh, by the way, the first real test for Oklahoma this season, Cincinnati. They go beat Pittsburgh. So it was it was a good week for the Big 12. Yeah, Kansas beat Illinois. You know, mm. that's, a, that's a solid win for the Jayhawks as well. Uh, the future of the Big 12 looks – promising Colorado picked up the win over Nebraska Utah got the win over Baylor uh, I mean a lot of just really intriguing things that went down uh, what else happened uh, Houston I mean just when you think okay Houston's might be a team that could be one of the fringe bowl teams uh, they went and laid an egg against Rice so just I don't know it, it's clear that there's a bit of a you know a, a top seven bottom seven um, I think BYU and Oklahoma state are probably right there on that, you know, seven, eight fringe line right now. But I mean, you, you, it's pretty clear right now. It's Texas, Kansas state, Oklahoma, UCF and Cincinnati right now would be my top five. 
uh, after week two. Yeah. And, uh, do you, again, the comparative scoring game, we're going to get to do that with Oklahoma versus Washington, but you, you could do that versus UCF and Washington because Washington absolutely obliterated Boise state and uh, UCF. Again, I don't, I, I I'm with you. They're one of the top teams right now in this league. They've earned that right. And yet they squeak by Boise state, a team that Washington handled with complete ease in uh in week one so just kind of uh interesting how things have played have played out in the big 12 but it's fun man it's football season baby you gotta love it yeah and and you love it because you get comments like these oklahoma state fought back against powerhouse arizona state thank you clandestine syndicate for that good chuckle that you gave me um yeah uh you got three quarterbacks you got no quarterbacks, right? I mean, the old saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I don't know what it is. If you have three quarterbacks, you have less than no quarterbacks maybe. Um, but it's, man, it's, it's such a fun time of year to be watching college football and talking about college football. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show here on locked on Sooners and tuning in with us every Monday night, 9 PM central time. It's always a blast to see what y'all are talking about in the chat and, and, and feature those comments here on the show. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts for free and available on every podcast platform. And on YouTube, hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref. I'm at John Nine Williams. The show is at Locked On Sooners. Until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. Boomer Sooner.